You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. All right, welcome to a new episode of Sixers Daily. I'm your host, Jazz Kang. A career night for Joel Embiid. Tied his career high, had 50 points, 12 rebounds. Sixers get a win, 123-110 over the Orlando Magic. But I do have to say, as much as you can hear that score and you hear about the big night that Joe had, it wasn't that pretty. We'll get into that as well. Joining me for this one, Jackson Frank. Uh, Jackson, you write for Liberty Ballers. Tough decision to see who was the bell ringer for, for this game after <laughs> after things wrapped up for her. Uh, what was, you know, I want to get into this first, though. Let's just get into Joel Embiid's dominance because he was so good in the first quarter, had 20 points. That was actually his career high for most points in over a 12 minute span in the quarter, 23 in the third quarter. Uh, what did you make of his performance and how awesome has he been over the last month, month and a half here? Yeah, it was just a really focused performance. I thought, um, you know, he showcased everything he can do as a scorer these days. Um, and what I loved most, I thought offensively was a lot of times, maybe, maybe starting, maybe in the third quarter mostly, but um, he was, he was working hard to get deep position on the block. He was hustling in, you know, an early offense to get, get those deep catches, making sure that his teammates saw he was available down there. Um, and I didn't think that, you know, he's been playing well for a while, but I don't, I don't think that's always the way he plays, which is fine because he has other ways to score. Um, but he realized he had a pretty big mismatch against, you know, whether it was Mo Bamba or Robin Lopez. Uh, and he really just went to work there. So, you know, that, that was what was most impressive is, he just made sure that a lot of his touches were going to be within six feet of the hoop against a guy who couldn't slow him down. So um, that's what stood to me. And then, you know, you saw the pull-up jumpers. You saw him get 17 free throws. You saw him hit a, a step back three. Um, so it was just, you know, it was a good matchup for him. And he he took about as full advantage as you can you know, in this game. Yeah, you're looking at you know, Joel's numbers since December the 16th. 33.1 points, which is the highest in the NBA over that span. Uh, just ahead of LeBron James, uh, putting up 10.1 rebounds, MVP level stuff that we've seen from him. And especially in this game, like, and like I was saying at the, at the beginning and during the intro, the magic were actually up by nine going into halftime. And you're, let's be frank, the Orlando magic stink. And then I don't think I'm, I'm saying anything too rude there. Although I do have some nice pieces with, as you mentioned, Mobamba, who had, uh, I believe 28 points in the first half, which is beat his career high. Uh, Franz Wagner, also a good player, but looking at this, the way that the Sixers came out in the, in the third quarter, almost put up 50 points on the magic outscored them 47 to 23. But when, when you're looking at the difference between, and uh, you know, obviously Joel was the reason why the Sixers were so dominant in that third quarter, but Jackson, when you're looking at how the Sixers played in that third quarter versus especially that second quarter, what do you think outside of Embiid that they were doing well as a five man unit that enabled them to kind of dominate that 12 minute stretch there? Yeah. So I think with today in that first half, um, they were really not sharp with their switches. Um, Seth Curry messed them up. Tobias was a pretty big culprit off the ball. Uh, and they weren't very good about like, they didn't exactly know how to defend the Mo Bamba pick and pop. Uh, I thought, you know, 
like I don't think Bob is shooting great from three this year. Obviously, he's gotten pretty good volume up. I know he's been kind of up and down at times in terms of the percentage, but um, you got to feel like maybe after the second one, you're you're changing your your coverage, right? Like it's okay, maybe the first or second you're going to give a a an average three point shooter, let's say for a big man, average those shots, right? Um, but once the guy's hot, you got to switch things up. So I thought in the second half. Um, they did a better job. Uh, Joel was was trapping or showing a lot in the pick and rolls. They in if in Bomba if Bomba was popping rather than rolling, they were having the kind of the weak side wing defender stunt to take away Bomba there because even though he's a big man, he's not someone who's really going to burn you in the post on mismatches. He's gotten better at that this year, but it's not it's still not his game. He wants to be a floor spacer and things like that. Maybe take a wonderful pull up. So um, thought they were better, more aggressive pick and roll coverage, not letting. Uh, those passes be so easily from the ball handler to mobile on the pick and pop. Um, that was the biggest thing that stood out to me, I think. And then they were just generally better. I think at denying things off the ball, a little crisper with executing, you know, kind of that, that switch heavy defense they'll run a lot of the time. So um, started with Joel, but a lot of it was just low hanging fruit for improvement, figuring out how to not let Mobamba get wide open threes on pick and pops and um, should have happened a lot earlier, but, you know, fortunately for the Sixers, they figured it out and Joel continued to dominate after halftime and, um, they, they had, as you mentioned, a, a huge third quarter in which, you know, Joel had 23 and the magic had 23 on their own. Um, and I was my favorite stat from this game, I think is that I, I did the math and I could be off. I, I tried to do it pretty carefully, but when Joel was on the floor, the magic scored 52 points and Joel has on his own scored 50, which doesn't even include any of this assists he had. So on his own, he was responsible for about as many points as the magic were when he was out there, when you factor in assists. I think he had two assists, so I think he had 54 total points created. So um, they could have just played Joel, and they would have won that game. <laughs> well, I mean, dude, the way he was manhandling uh, Robin Lopez down low, like you were mentioning earlier, uh, Jackson, the way he would get the the seals like right in front of the rim, and I, I, there was a couple times I'm like, give him the ball, you know what? Like I'm yelling because obviously the Sixers perimeter guys are bringing the ball up, but you're you're looking at how he's been able to score these points. And you mentioned, you know, the pull-ups, he had that, the, the crazy three there, I believe as the shot clock was running down. He's doing it in, in so many different ways. And when you look at Joel Embiid's numbers, as I mentioned, the highest, uh, basically the highest, the leading score in the NBA over the last month or so, um, putting up 30 a game consistently now. And, and you look at just how good he's been. Uh, Sixers players with multiple 50.10 rebound games. I retweeted this from StatMuse, Will Chamberlain, Joel Embiid. That's it. You know what I mean? That's the list right there. So you're looking at how good, he has been where do, when you look at earlier in his career and you look at how he's evolved and the player he's become now, where do you think the, the two or three biggest uh, aspects he's grown his game since he kind of entered the league and where he's at right now? Yeah. So I will get into this, but I shameless plug. I wrote a big thing over basketball news this week about Joel's awesome season and his growth. So I can only say so much on this podcast, but People want the most in-depth uh, thing you can offer. I've been watching and covering Joel for basically his entire career, so I have good insight there. But um, right, I think I have good insight, at least. Hopefully people agree when they read it. But That's all that counts, uh, Jackson. Right? Yeah, as long as, as, long as do, do we're okay. Um, yeah. But the biggest thing that I wrote about in this piece, just like the overarching theme, I think, is how composed and patient he is offensively these days. There's just nothing that speeds him up. Early in his career, there were teams and, and opponents and coverages that could give him trouble, um, especially like – if you would send late help for about Joel's first three or four years, the Celtics were great at this with Marcus Smart, Marcus Smart especially. If you would send late help not from the baseline and when he would kind of get to a spin or try to get that post hook, he would get rattled. Now he'll see that he'll see the help coming from wherever it is. Just take a dribble back, keep his dribble alive. That's another really key piece. Is he doesn't like he he would he would really kind of succumb against doubles where he would just kind of 
turn into like a six, five player. Um, and obviously he's seven feet tall. Now he keeps dribble alive or he'll get to that, that step through with the fadeaway that he loves, especially in the middle or just fade baseline again before the double can come. So um, just so composed. If someone takes away his first option, which is a lot harder these days, he'll just transition to a second option that he's comfortable with, um, which kind of goes into him expanding his off the dribble game a ton. I think the, I think about 25% of his shots are coming off the dribble in the half court this year, according to Synergy, which is a career high after last year's career high of 19%. Previously, it was 13% um, one year, and he was a lot less effective in terms of how, how often he's putting the ball in the basket on those shots. So um, that's the biggest thing. It's just a lot more patient, scans the floor a lot better. Um, just nothing you can really do these days to speed him up, whether it's a scorer or a passer. Um, still has times where he's not, you know, he's not he's not the best passer in the league, you know, for big men or anything, but like, you look at the way he finds cutters way more often this year. Um, that's a huge improvement too. We saw that, you know, one of those, a couple of them tonight, I guess, with with Tobias and Furcon, I think, on his two assists. So uh, the biggest thing is just patience and composure. And, you know, the decision-making, I think, is really, really, you know, kind of improved. I think it was always okay because he was a great scorer or a very good scorer, and you'll live with that. But now it just feels like he's always making shrewd decisions. And I don't think that was always the case with him before. Yeah, he's 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 been on a, on a crazy run, and, and you mentioned that too. The way he's able to stay patient when he's catching the ball, and even as the double teams come in, he's he's been getting a lot better at facing up towards the hoop, seeing the double team come, and even if it's not you know a direct pass for an assist, it's almost like a hockey assist where he's yep. given you know one pass and the and the second one is finding an open shooter. Unfortunately, if it's somebody like Tobias Harris, I'm not going to go in <laughs> majority of the time as we've seen. But um, I think he's you know I, I agree with you. I think his his patience. And, and where he's at right now offensively, I mean, uh, the most dialed in player really in the offensive end in the NBA, I feel like uh, over the last little stretch here and since Christmas, the Sixers now sitting at 10 and two since then uh, improved to 26 and 18. We did get some news about, well, rumors and reports, Jackson, about your favorite subject, which is Ben Simmons. <laughs> I know. At least it's actual news, right? At least it's not the non-update we got last week. I, I will I will talk about, you know, speculative trade partners, but I, the last week was just hilarious because it wasn't anything, right? It was just... Yeah, are they going to move? Are they open to? Yeah, like, who, who knows? <laughs> yeah. And I, I think we're all kind of tired, but we did get some movement. Uh, Keith Pompey, one of the most plugged-in Sixers guys around, if not the most, and obviously we had Shams weighing in on that. I want to touch on, on A, the potential rumors that we're hearing about Sacramento but also kind of looking at what this means for the Sixers in the bigger picture not also not only in the in the long run but in the short run as well we'll do that after a short break vacations can be tricky you already know how to book flights and hotels but now the only thing you're missing is you know the actual travel experience because is it really a vacation if you're just sitting around like you would at home you need a tool to get the most out of your time away that's where Viator steps in. You can book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who already been on the experiences you're considering, so you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, and we're back uh, talking to Jackson Frank, as I usually do on post-game shows whenever we're in the hot seat. Uh, Jackson, we talked a lot about Joel Embiid, his dominant 50-point performance, tied a career high. Really should have hit that free throw to make it 51, but as soon as he missed <laughs> he it, was he was like, kicking himself. I, I think on the <laughs> sidelines, I think he was talking with someone when he subbed out, and he was a little, little fr- I was, he was just upset with himself because Joel always hates when he misses free throws. So, yeah, he was so close. But that's 50 is a nice round number, even if it's still you know, not, not a new career high. Oh, this was a team to do it against too, because like I said, Orlando <laughs> sucks. So I mean, it was, uh, it was, it was. It's been great to see him kind of growing into into the player that he's become. The uh, definite MVP candidate at this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, that remains to be seen how serious the voters take him. Of course, we're we're a while away from that yet. But focusing on something that's coming up in the short run, which is the NBA trade deadline set for February the tenth. Obviously, Ben Simmons still remains a part of the Sixers organization in whatever way that he is. Uh, but we did have a report coming out from Keith Pompey of the Philadelphia Inquirer. And I'm just going to kind of quote here what he's saying. Uh, basically said multiple sources said the Western Conference team that was willing to complete a deal for Simmons and Tobias Harris is the Sacramento Kings. Uh, mentioned that Sacramento, considering a package that includes Buddy Heald, Tyrese Halliburton, Harrison Barnes, two first-round picks, hoping to get in exchange for that. Ben Simmons, Tobias Harris, Matisse Thybul. When you saw this come, and I, I think Pompey, like I said, is is great at his job, and I know he's he's so plugged in with the organization. Uh, haven't haven't heard you know t- totally if that was the the final package, but again, this is coming from Keith. But when you're looking at this, Jackson, what what are your thoughts on that potential package? And you know, we read some other news that Matisse Thybul might be untouchable. I don't think that he is as as great as a defender as he is. But to me, when I'm looking at that, I love what Tyrese Halliburton brings, not only as a shooter but as a playmaker. Buddy Heald, not the greatest defender in the world, but high volume shooter who shoots above forty percent at what nine ten attempts per game. Harrison Barnes still on a declining contract, a nice piece who could play a small ball four, and those two first round picks coming from the Kings, who are the crappiest organization in the NBA. NBA could potentially be be worth a, a gold mine in the future, but Jackson, when you're looking at, at at that deal, what are your thoughts on on that being a package in return for Ben? It might be underwhelming in the sense of getting an All Star, but you're also shedding Tobias Harris's deal on that. Yeah, I mean, I I think that's a deal that if it was it was available, and there's been so many different reports. You know, Keith had one, uh, Sam Emmicks had some stuff as of late. You know, Shams had the one you mentioned. Jason Anderson of the Sack B had something earlier this morning. I mentioned, you know, that the Kings are willing to part with the Aaron Fox. So um, it's tough to know what exactly is, you know, a leverage play and what's actually the truth. Um, but if that's a deal that was actually available, that's when I would absolutely, you know, say the Sixers should accept. As you mentioned, it's not just the fact that, like, they get three guys they can, you know, immediately put in the rotation, as well as two first-round picks for a team that might still be drafting in the top 10, top 12, um, you know, even if they get Ben Simmons. Uh, and I think they probably would still because they're moving through their, their better players. Nobody healed his issues, but um, there's still guys who kind of helped them, at, you know, at times kind of be a team that's in the play in conversation. Um, that's the deal that I think they should absolutely take, you know, because you get good stuff for Ben Simmons. You get off of a guy like Tobias Harris, who not only has thrown a lot this year, um, but as a guy that, you know, really does, you know, and it's not his fault. Like you take, you take the money you get given. Um, but the, the, the decision to, you know, give him that five year, $180 million contract 
has really kind of hamstring them, hamstring them financially, um, unfortunately. And, you know, aside from last regular season and first round, he hasn't, you know, isn't a guy who's produced at the level, you know, I wouldn't even say he was like close to the the level of guys who make similar money. Um, but at least last year he was kind of a, you know, on the all-star fringes and you could kind of at least see how good he could be, but you know, uh, you know, first year of that deal, he wasn't anywhere close to it this year. He hasn't been, I know we've talked about, he's been dealing with injuries and whatnot, but, um, that would be a huge win for them. If, you know, if they were able to move off of Tobias and, you know, get guys who fit better and are, are good players on top of the, the two, two first round picks that you mentioned. Do you think that, you know, when you're like, and like you mentioned, I mean, Sam Emick and, and Shams basically saying, Hey, what we're hearing from our sources with the Kings is De'Aaron Fox, not going anywhere. They'd like to still build around Fox and, and Tyrese Halliburton. So again, who knows, uh, what these people are hearing and, and what the truth is, I, I reckon to say it's somewhere in the middle. But, you know, going back to what I wanted to say, when you're looking at the short run and the long run for this team, because from my perspective, looking around the NBA, like you look in the in the East, uh, you know, the Bucks, the Sixers were, were taking up the five and six spot as the time we're recording this podcast. They're within two and a half games of the top spot in the conference. Um, you know, Chicago looks like uh, it'll be, I think from right now, looks like it's going to hang on to beat uh, Cleveland. So that'll, that'll put the bulls up into a tie with, with Miami there. Uh, the Brooklyn nets are right there. As I mentioned, Cavs now will fall back likely to being two and a half back of, of those three teams. But you're, you're looking at, looking at this, like, do you think that Maury should kind of say, Hey, if I can't maybe get an all-star and regurgitating the names we've heard the entire time, which are Damian Lillard and Bradley Beal. So, you know, like those are the guys he wants to maybe target. We obviously we've heard James Harden now that maybe a sign in trade in the summer since he didn't, you know, opt in to sign that deal with the Nets. But when I'm looking at the, the, the landscape of the NBA and we were talking a bit uh, before we started rolling here, like you got Phoenix, Golden State, Memphis, maybe Utah to, to a lesser degree in the West and then out East, it almost seems like it's wide open, you know, and uh, who knows, you know, what's been going on with the Bucks. Uh, with them, you know, playing with Giannis and and Chris Middleton and and Jeru Holiday, I'm sure Brooklyn, if they get everybody back on in terms of their big three with KD, Harden, and and, and Kyrie, and depending on the vaccination stuff, that's again, I think a couple of months down the line as we get into the playoffs. But you're looking at this like I feel like this in the NBA, Jackson. If you have a chance to win it now, go for it. Like we saw, we saw the Raptors do that right in 2019. They totally bet on Kawhi thinking, hey, we're going to take a shot at winning him. They traded one of the most beloved players in, in franchise history and DeMar DeRozan, uh, bought in Kawhi with no assurances that he would he would stay past one year, but they won a championship, right? Which is uh, the Raptors, as good as they were at points in the regular season, uh, going out through the last previous decade, never really got things done. And so I'm looking at this like, if you can get a package like that at Halliburton, uh, Buddy Heald, Harrison Barnes, where it'll give you a ton of options in, in terms of your lineup rotation. Do you think Maury has to look at that just considering the level that Joel Embiid's playing at and given Joel's injury history and considering the fact he's a seven footer, like we know those guys don't age too well. So when you're looking at that from that perspective, do you think it's worth the Sixers just being like, let's just take what we can get, maximize our chances right now and go try and win a friggin' championship this season? Yeah, I do. And I, I think, you know, and this is, and this is not, you weren't implying otherwise, but the, you know, maybe the, the difference between, you know, when the Raptors went for it is there was a chance Kawhi, you know, left and obviously he did, but the six, like the six are the guys that the Sixers get for Ben Simmons. Don't just leave after mm-hmm. this year. Right. Like, mm-hmm. like if things don't go great this year, like I'm not like this could very well be the best year of Joel's career. Like, you know, he's right around his prime. Tw- I think he turns 28 in a month and a half or so, um, you know, this year, next year, and the previous year, probably his three best. Like, like, yeah, that, that matters. But like, you're like the players you get don't all of a sudden just become free agents. Right. So you can go, you can try again next year. 
Um, but yeah, they're, they're on 57 win pace. They're 23 and 10 with Joel. Um, I know that like teams are generally really good with their MVP plays, but also teams are, aren't usually playing the entire year without their second best player. Um, you know, you know, obviously you know, there's some teams, you know, the, there's some teams like the Nuggets that have been without guys, but regardless, like 57 win pace and you're, you haven't just played like cupcakes the entire way. Like, yeah, you've had a few games against the magic and, and whatnot, but you've beaten some playoff. You've beaten the rap and well, I guess they beat the Raptors and the Raptors were in health and stage, but you've beaten the Hornets. You know, you've you lost my goodness. I let's backtrack. You've beaten the bulls. You've beaten the nets. You've beaten the warriors. You've beaten good teams when Joel's been healthy, right? You've beaten the heat. Mm-hmm. I know the heat weren't full strength, but um, this team is really good, and Joel makes everyone really, really like makes things easy for everyone. And so, um, you you improve your guard depth, you get a little more shooting, you get a better fitting power forward. Um, you know, in in Harrison Barnes, who's to say this team isn't you know isn't sixty three win caliber pace? I know that you know the schedule picks up. I think in February in March, but um, I think this team you know has a chance. I wouldn't pick them as maybe my one of my top three to go out of the East. Um, you know, even with maybe the Packers that we mentioned, but I but I wouldn't like totally scoff at it. I have to see kind of, I have to conceptualize further about how the, how those players fit, but I think you got to go for it. As you mentioned, like we don't, there's a lot of uncertainty this year. Um, you know, the bucks might not be, might be without Brooke Lopez. I think the bucks can still be really good, but like that guy is pretty key to them defensively. Um, the Cavs are really good, but you don't know, like, do they have enough depth? Do they have enough guard play? The nets, that whole Kyrie situation, what's Harden going to look like, you know, what's Katie look like when he comes back, the bulls, you know, or, or a team that's dealing with some injuries now too. And they're going to be in their first year of kind of an actual playoff run with this core. Um, I think the Heat are obviously very good. They've, they've got playoff proven guys leading the way and a great coach, but um, I think you got to go for it. I think like, I think it's just too wide open, as you mentioned. And I think this team is kind of, you know, the way Joel's playing, he's, you know, I don't know. I wouldn't bet on it. I don't know if I bet on it, but like, he's not incapable of kind of backpacking this team, you know, a team that's mostly, role players and high level starters to, to a deep run. And maybe that doesn't result in a championship. Winning a championship is really, really, really hard. Um, but I think it could result in a, in a deeper run and a much closer chance in the title than they've ever had. Maybe besides that year, they had Jimmy Butler uh, and Joel and, you know, whatnot. So um, kind of a long-winded ramp, but to short, to answer it briefly. Yes. I think they got to go for it because of how well Joel is playing and how well the team has played when, when Joel's out there this year, despite Ben Simmons not playing. Yeah, Jackson, and I think that's where you know we, we do agree on that too. Because like I mentioned, like you you mentioned the Chicago Bulls. It's like yeah, they got they got a nice piece of he's playing at MVP level too. And Demar Derozan, uh, Zach Levine, obviously a very good player, and they got some nice complimentary guys around the Lonzo Ball, Alex Caruso. Uh, you can go down the line, and but again, I, I'm just looking at it from that like you remember the years where it was okay, Golden State's going to you know it's going to be Golden State Cleveland. You know what I mean? Like from 2015 mm-hmm. till till 2019, I mean that was kind of or 2018 at least that was the the thinking and. Looking around at the NBA, it's like, okay, right now, I think the, the Western Conference teams are a little bit better in terms of the, the ones that are at the top of the pack with, with the Suns, the Dubs, and, and the Grizzlies. And then looking at the East, like you mentioned, I mean, if Joel's doing what he's doing, they got Tyrese Maxey continuing to improve. I think Seth Curry's a very, very good complimentary piece, although he has been a bit up and down over the past you know few weeks or so. Uh, looking at looking at that team, it's like, man, they, they can kind of they can kind of do some damage in, in the playoffs. And, and it's not like last season, we're almost... I think it was even even with Ben, uh, you know, even the Sixers finishing as a top seed, it was kind of like it's going to be a daunting task to get through Milwaukee mm-hmm. or Brooklyn. And now you're looking at it, you're like, even though, you know, the Bucks are, are virtually the, the same team, uh, Brooklyn did make some changes on the on the outside and the, and the fringe of the roster, bought in a nice piece in, in Patty Mills and that. But, you know, looking at that squad, I'm like, just given the way they play, Durant obviously out with the injury now, you're like, all right, I you know, they look pretty beatable too. So 
you know, it's interesting because, and, and I want to get your thoughts on this too, Jackson, is looking at, at the James Harden thing. And, you know, obviously Daryl Morey and him have that connection from Houston, you know, Harden won an MVP. They were, they were very, very close to, to knocking off that stacked warrior squad, uh, played them really tough in a couple of series, but looking at it now, like, do you think if that's going to be the end result, it's almost worth not going all in this season and waiting until the off season to hopefully acquire a Harden, a Lillard or a Beal? I, yeah, I just I just can't get there because you don't get seasons like this from from players very often. I mean, like like we're you know it's it's unfortunate that Katie got injured, but we're getting really close to a point where like Joel is like unquestionably going to be a top three MVP candidate again. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, you know maybe Steph Curry gets hot again, and you know LeBron you know helps kind of the Lakers turn things around. But like right now, I think you know Joel will probably be fourth. You know, in my rough. A rough voting, but that, but that's going to, he's going to leapfrog Katie at some point, I think it's because Katie's unfortunately injured. Like you don't get these seasons from guys like Joel is arguably the best basketball player in the world right now. Like, I don't think anyone will probably pick many people pick him for that title, but he's playing as well as anyone. And you can't just let that go to waste. And as I say, it would go to waste by, you know, necessarily waiting for, you know, premier creator. But like, I don't think you need that. Like I, like, I think we've talked about on previous podcasts, like before the year, I thought, yeah, you probably need a little more talent, but like, I think the way Joel is playing on both ends, he makes things so easy for everyone else that like, if you just up, upgrade the rotation with guys like Halliburton and Barnes and Heald, you know, let's say in place of a Tobias, a, a Furcon and a shake, like you're in a pretty dang good spot because right now you're already at 50, you're already, you know, already 57 win pace when Joel suits up for you. Like you add those guys, like you're probably looking at a 60, 60 ish win, you know, team. And I know the regular season has kind of become increasingly less, you know, indicative at times of, you know, postseason quality, but like your 61 team, you're probably in a pretty good spot when it comes to the postseason, especially when you have a guy like Joel. So I just don't think it makes sense to, to sit on your hands and say that, Oh yeah, like, well, Joel will be this good next year because yeah, there's a chance he's really, really good again, but you know, the chance that he's this good, you know, is by no means a given. And that's not to say that he couldn't be, but it just, you know, he's not 24 or 25, right? Like I think you just have to go for it now. And I think this team, you know, could be good enough. I don't think they are, they are right now because again, they are missing their second best player who, you know, is earning a lot of money. Well, he has paid a lot of money that is not necessarily going to him. Um, and so that makes it hard to, to maximize things, but I just think they got to go for it. You know, I, I think Joel's reached a point offensively where he makes everything easy. And so I think, you know, maybe in previous years, and even last year to an extent, he was a guy who was, you know, was a very good scorer last year. He was a great scorer. And last year, obviously, he took a leap as a passer. But it, he didn't have the same level of control over the game, I feel like, that he does this year. And I think that makes things so easy. So you plug in these guys you mentioned, you got a chance. Yeah, maybe it doesn't work out because you just don't have the, the talent, you know, the high-end talent around you well. But I think I think you got to go for it. I really do. Jackson, we'll, we'll wrap up on this. So, you know, looking at, we talk about Ben Simmons, it feels like every single time we discuss anything related to the Sixers on the podcast. So let's eliminate him from the equation for this question. Uh, looking at the Sixers as constructed, let's just say Daryl Morey, who has, who has openly said, and we've heard from Plugged In Insiders, that the Sixers are willing to wait until the offseason. So let's just say that is the case. February 11th comes, Ben Simmons is still on the roster. Uh, obviously not going to be playing, but he's still on the roster. If, if, if you're looking at what the Sixers can do in order to try and improve the team, what kind of player do you think that, that Maury should be looking for? Let's just say he gives up, you know, a first round pick or a, a conditional, you know, uh, pick that'll turn into two seconds somewhere down the line in order to acquire uh, a proven NBA veteran, maybe not an all-star level or star level player, 
but just somebody who can contribute. What are some of the attributes you're looking at for, for the Sixers that they really need, just given as constructed in order to maybe bump up their chances as they get into the playoffs? Yeah, so I think the two the two positions, you know, roughly, and I'll get in the skill sets in a little more uh, specifically later, but the two positions I'd be looking at would be, you know, a bench ball handler um, or, or a wing. Um, that guy could be a starter. You just, you know, I think Danny has been, Danny's been up and down, but still okay on the year, but he just, his health seems so fickle, unfortunately, with all these different, you know, I think right now he has hip injuries, healthy soft tissue injuries. And we know how good Matisse is, you know, defensively, but a lot of smart defensive teams will just not guard him and make things tough for Embiid. So an upgrade there would be good. And then, you know, Seth and, you know, excuse me, Shake and Furcon are just so fickle as bench ball. And I think an upgrade there, but what you'd be looking for is, you know, guys based on the floor. Well, uh, someone who makes quick decisions. I think the Sixers could really benefit from that. Um, they just don't, this is a really poor passing team. Uh, you know, I would say relative to position, Joel is their best passer. And, you know, some of that is a credit to how good Joel has gotten for, for a big man, but also I don't think Joel is who you want as your best passer on a team. Uh, I'm not saying you're going to get the best, most impactful passer in a, you know, a trade that doesn't, you know, you know, send out Ben Simmons, but just a quick decision maker guy who's a smart off ball player, whether it's relocating around, around the arc like Danny does, whether it's uh, the cutting we see from guys like Charlie Brown and Matisse Thibel, even Furcon at times from the baseline. So um, just smart off ball players who can also provide some more perimeter defense and give you more offensively than Matisse does, because I think Matisse has actually been pretty solid at times, you know, offensively over the last two or three weeks before his injury, but you still just see times where defenses don't guard him at all. I think the Hornets did that a lot, if I recall, and made things tough. And so, mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's like, if you can't, if you can't get the ball to Joel because Matisse's defender is guarding him uh, or fronting him or, or shading the backside, wherever the, you know, wherever the help comes from, then the Sixers don't really have another passer to find Matisse when he cuts. So, uh, the, the cutting that Matisse does and the synergy he's developed with Joel kind of is all for nothing. And that makes it tough. So uh, again, I kind of went off the rails there. Apologies, but um, just wing or bench ball handler and guys who can space the floor and, you know, kind of give you some size defensively and, you know, that fit around Joel and doesn't make things tougher for him because you know, his life is already, you know, as, as the Sixers anchor on both ends is already pretty complicated and arduous and he's been great at it, but you don't want to make things any tougher. Yeah, and, and Joel just a post game quote. He said, oh, "I was okay tonight." And it's like, okay, Joel, you can be a little bit more. You can be a little bit more proud than that. But yeah, I I think you know what if if the if the focus does shift from a Simmons move, we will start to hear about the Sixers maybe looking at trying to upgrade, like you mentioned the the ball hander position. And and you know we saw some cries for people saying, "Hey, let's try and get Maxi out there without Joel Embiid on the floor, so he can kind of run the second unit." And also, I mean, the athleticism. And this is one thing as great. And we we were gushing over Joel in the first half of the pod. But, you know, you look at the lack of athleticism, especially on the defensive end at points where the Sixers have been, you know, they've been taken apart by by lesser opponents. We've seen that throughout the season and the Magic were taking it to them in that second quarter where defensively it just looks like they're they're a step too slow at points and, and not able to really get back in transition. So I think the Sixers have plenty of options. We have, you know, roughly three weeks now left until the trade deadline. So going to be lots to discuss until then. Uh, Jackson, we'll be back in the hot seat doing the postgame podcast next Thursday after the Sixers take on the Lakers. I want to thank you for joining me as always, my man. Yeah, happy to talk. And, uh, you know, should be should be a fun one to talk after the game. Lakers are certainly a team not short on talking points. So neither, neither are the Sixers. So hopefully it should be a fun one to recap.
All right, that does it for this episode. That's Jackson Frank. You can check him out on Twitter as well. He's at Jack Frank underscore JJF. Uh, you can check me out at JazzKang21. That's J-A-S-K-A-N-G-21. And don't forget, subscribe to the Liberty Ballers Podcast Network. You can catch us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, you name it. We are there. And check us out online. Jackson, Paul Hudrick, uh, Steve, Harrison Grimm. we got a ton of uh, talented writers there who have you covered for all things Sixers at LibertyBallers.com. Support for this podcast came from SAS. Data is everything. And now everything is data, which means more to process, more to analyze. And now more than ever, speed to answers matters. So how do you produce those answers as fast as the world produces data? With SAS VIA, the quickest way from a billion points of data to a point of view. It's a more productive data and AI platform that helps you get more done. Learn more today at sas.com slash V-I-Y-A. Support for this show comes from Fundrise. Buy low, sell high. It's easy to say, hard to do. For example, high interest rates are crushing the real estate market right now. Demand is dropping and prices are falling, even for many of the best assets. It's no wonder the Fundrise flagship fund plans to go on a buying spree, expanding its billion-dollar real estate portfolio over the next few months. You can add the Fundrise flagship fund to your portfolio in just minutes and with as little as $10 by visiting Fundrise.com Fox. Carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the Fundrise flagship fund before investing. This and other information can be found in the fund's prospectus at Fundrise.com flagship. This is a paid advertisement.